0: Turn to read together this morning for the study that we are doing in Judges chapter 6 and reading verse 25 through 32 only, this short portion, Judges 6 and 25 through 32. Beginning to read at verse 25, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock. The marginal reading says, in an orderly manner. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, And the grove was cut down, that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. They said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, "Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death, whilst." It is yet morning, if he be God, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. Dear Saviour, when my thoughts free of thy grace. Lo, at thy feet ashamed I fall, and hide this wretched face. Shall love like thine be the strepate of vile, ungrateful heart? My earth's slow cares, detain, detain, from Jesus to depart, from Jesus who alone can give true pleasure, peace, and rest. When I'm sent from my Lord, I live unsatisfied, unblessed. Be He for His own mercy's sake my wandering soul restores. He bids the mourning heart partake the pardon it implores. Oh, while I breathe to thee, my Lord, the penitential sigh. Confirm the kind, forgiving word with pity in thine eye. Then shall the mourner at thy feet rejoice, to seek thy face. And grateful, oh, how kind, how sweet is thy forgiving grace. And thank you and be seated. On well, last week we'd begun to examine these eight verses in Judges chapter 6, verse 25 through 32. And for its context, last week we reviewed briefly this scene as a scene. And how Gideon had come to this place. How he had come to this physical place and the circumstances that brought him there. And also how he had come to this place spiritually. The spiritual place in his life. And how it came to be Spiritually with him that he had come to this place. I'd emphasize the fact that Gideon had been granted faith. Faith to believe the Lord. Faith in the Lord that was made visible to him. was made visible to him through this Christophany. His faith, I pointed out more than once, that his faith at this point, that is verses 22 through 24, was ever so small, ever so small. In fact, I referred to it as being tiny embers only. But it was real and living faith nonetheless. And now in verse 24 when we arrive there, his faith is to be given, albeit small and weak faith, nevertheless it is to be given exercise and growth by demands laid on him to begin immediately to enter into his combat. I did think as I was writing this, and I have often thought, every time I think about the exercise of weak faith, I don't know why, but for whatever reason within myself, my personality, I've always been intrigued to watch mothers with their babies especially when they reach a point where they can grasp her fingers with their little tiny hands, and she starts to help them to pull up. What a precious sight it is. But she's beginning already, even that in that infancy, to exercise those little muscles. Make them start to work. And that's the scene before us, spiritually. Gideon's faith is so weak, so infantile. And yet the Spirit of God would have him begin immediately to put it to work and exercise. And the exercise that he is calling on him to perform is that of combat. But it is not combat with the Midianites. Not yet. No, no. It is combat with sin. Specifically with idolatry. The idolatry in his own household. Verse 25. And it came to pass the same night, that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that's by it. The very first exercise of this infant's faith is that he must begin combat, and that not with the enemy that has oppressed them, Not with the enemy that has created the context of all of this. Of the Midianites. But combat with their own sin. I had announced on last week that I would attempt to expound these verses by extracting from them the lessons planted there for our instruction. And this, of course, that I've just mentioned, was the first lesson. That is, that our God, God's demand to engage His enemies is immediate. It is immediate. As soon as His Spirit has revealed His purposes, as we saw in this text, as soon as His Spirit has revealed His purposes. In grace, it is immediately called that they should engage in combat. Immediately. And that immediacy was the first lesson on which I spoke last week. The immediacy of God's demand to engage his enemies as soon as his purposes in grace are revealed. So much then for that first lesson and that lesson having come from just the first few words of that first verse 25. But now today there is again from this first verse, verse 25 yet another conspicuous lesson whose truth has permeated all the ages and ever stands in every generation as a sentinel at the door of all of God's dealings with his people. In every age, I see it, in every age, it stands as a sentinel at the door of God's dealings with his people. In a word, if I may give it to you in its simplest form, there is this lesson we see in the text, that judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment and the subsequent victory that we are yet some ways away from seeing in this record. Judgment and subsequent victory begins at the house of God. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17 is the very words that I gave you. Verse 26. Verse 25, he tells Gideon, tear down your father's altar. Verse 26, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in an orderly manner and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. The work of God begins with the judgment of God in the house of God. Gideon's first accomplishment, Gideon's first task, Gideon's first command, it has nothing to do with the Midianite armies, but has to do with the Israelite hearts. Judgment must begin in the house of God. Oh! (laughs) Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Get in, tear down that altar of your fathers, and build the altar of God. You see, this is first. Because it will do David, generations later, it will do David no good. To pray. In the words of Psalm five verse eight through ten, David prayed, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth, their inward part is very wickedness. Their this uh, their throat is an open sepulchre. Destroy thou them, O God. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against thee. What a glorious prayer that is. But it'll do no good to pray like that, David. It'll do no good, David. It'll be no use, David, to cry. And pour out, and the words of Psalm 79 and verse 6, when he cried, Oh, pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee, and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. Pour out thy wrath, Lord. Pour out thy wrath. Destroy these people. It'll do no good, David. It'll do no good. It'll do no good, David. You're wasting your time praying, David. In words like these, Psalm 35, Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of the shield and buckler, and stand up for my help. Draw out also the sword and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that divides my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. Oh, listen to me, David. David, listen. <laughs> Oh, all this praying, all this crying is in vain. All these prayers are nothing but vexation of the Spirit. All of these things are worthless and useless, David. Until, until, until you've cried out in the words of Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. All against thee, the only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightst be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shamed in an iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice all. Oh, hide me, hide me not. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities, O oh, David. It'll do you no good. It'll do you no good to pray those great mighty prayers against your enemies pleading the mercy of God to destroy them. It'll do no good until you cry cried out to God about your sins. Your sins. Judgment must begin at home. We see it in these verses. The first exercise of his infant faith must be to take hold of this monster of the sins in his own midst. Do no good, David. Those other prayers, peccatory prayers, do no good. Until you've owned your own transgression. Against thee only have I sinned. Oh, one commentator said of Gideon, Idolatry was the evil which Israel had done in the sight of the Lord. Idolatry was the sin which had brought upon Israel this terrible Midianite servitude. The hour of deliverance had come, but it must be the hour of repentance. And repentance must be in deed, not in word. Baal must be cast off before the Lord will go forth with his, enemies, with his armies. The first blow in the great contest that was coming on, must be a blow struck at Baal worship. And then the Lord would strike a blow against the Midianites. And so we see the mighty man of valor who had been prepared for his works by his interview with an angel of the Lord the man who was to sweep the Midianite locusts from off the soil of his beloved country. We see him commence his work as a bold reformer. How could he fight the battles of Israel while the altar of Baal crowned the heights of his native land? How could he call upon the Lord to help him while the shameful abomination stood up to testify against his own flesh and blood. And so his action began with a deed as bold as that of Luther when he burnt the papal bull in the sight of all the people. While men were asleep, little dreaming, little dreaming of what was about to happen, he rose from his bed, called ten of his servants to him and marching straight up to the altar of bell, surrounded it as with awe and superstition, and threw it down. Threw it down. Threw it down. Notice if I could extract and bring to your attention in this lesson of judgment beginning at the house of God, I would have you to notice that this work of God's deliverance, this work of God's judgment beginning first in Gideon, this work is both one of cleansing and one of building. First, there is the cleansing. Verse 25, Take thy father's young bullock, Even the second bullet seven years old, and throw down the altar. Throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath. There is first a work of cleansing. Somebody has said, We dare not set out to do any work for God, while any known sin is casting its deadly shadow across our lives. All of God's work begins with a plucking out of the eye that has entertained sin. All of God's work begins with a cutting off of the hand that has handled Sin, all of God's work begins with the repentance of the worker. Another with great wisdom has said, It is vain to treat symptoms while the radical seat of the disease is left untouched. That's exactly the point at which legalism fails, is it not? Isn't that precisely? the great fallacy of legalism. It's treating the symptoms while the disease remains untouched. Just external conformity. Just look a certain way, smell a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, and the disease is untouched. It's pure folly. Oh, Gideon, Gideon, Gideon. There's got to be a plucking up. There's got to be a tearing down. Go in, and I intend to say more about it under a different lesson, but go in, go in and take my father's bullock, that special bullock of seven years old, And go into thy father's house, where he has that grove and that bale is erected. Go in, go in, get in, and tear it down. Judgment must begin in your house. But wait, I said that as this judgment begins first at us. I said that it starts with a plucking up, with a tearing down. But now, secondly, I said also, there's to be a building. There's to be a building up of God's righteous worship. Look at verse 26. And build an altar. unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in an orderly manner and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. There must be a building up Of righteousness. Righteousness. Somebody well said. The passions. Of the destroyer. That's the one tearing down. And I've seen this over the years. I've seen this in preachers. I've seen this in ministries. Listen to the quote. The passions of the destroyer. Are not always joined. With the patient calm wisdom and energy of the renovator yet it is vain to cast out the evil spirits and sweep the floors unless we fill their place with better furniture Matthew 12:43 through 45 conviction of sin Must, said this writer, conviction of sin must be followed by the creation of a new heart if the future life is to be pure. There's got to be a building up. Psalm 51 in verse 10 said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. Within me, there's got to be a building up. There's got to be a building up. I've seen ministries over the years that spent men spent their entire life tearing down the altars of Baal. And thank God that's necessary. But there's got to be a place for building the altar of God. And offering sacrifices on it. If there's to be any growth. There's to be any purity. There's to be any life ahead. But wait. But wait a minute. As to this lesson of judgment. Beginning at the house of God. And by the way. if You haven't already made the application. By that I mean your own heart. Not the church as a corporate body. There is that application as well. But I'm talking about the altars of your own heart. As to this lesson of judgment beginning in your own heart, notice notice this thought from our text. If you would like to call it just a sideline if you please. The altar of Baal, according to the instructions of the angel, according to the instructions of the Lord here, the altar of Baal could not be refurbished. It could not merely undergo a redesign. Gideon must tear it down, cut the groves, burn the whole lot, and start anew by God's design. Verse 26, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock. In an orderly manner. Build. Not restore. Not renovate. And do it in an orderly pattern. Oh how much of modern contemporary Christianity. Not to say modern contemporary worship is nothing more than an evangelical redo of the devil's altars. An evangelical redo of the devil's altars. God said it was to be ordered. Do you see that verse 26, the word ordered? Now I'm aware, I'm very aware, that there's a great deal of controversy surrounding this word in our text. (laughs) So much so that even our beloved King James translators struggled to get it right. And that's why there's a marginal reading in the King James Bible. I understand there's a lot of controversy. I understand it's a difficult translation. But I think Bush got it all right when he said this. The ceremony intended was to be gone about with care and reverence. It was not to be performed in a cursory, hurried, or irregular manner. But with due reverence of all the appointed formalities. In short, Gideon was to build according to God's design, and that was ordered. Amen. Amen. i tell you most of what I see these days. Most of what I see in our churches in this day, it seems to me they have made a God out of disorder. It seems that anything is acceptable except order. <laughs> Hadn't thought about it, but we had a man visited this church one time. And he had some complaint about the fact that we use a bullet. That we have a a printed order for the service. He said, Brother, why don't you let the Spirit of God lead? I said, I did Why don't you let him lead the day before? (laughs) What, you think he can't lead until we're ready to come together? Ordered. Ordered. I don't have all the answers. No commentator, no Greek, no Hebrew scholar has all the answers of what exactly that word means in this context. But there is the general consensus. And certainly this, God intended what Gideon was doing to be done in an order dictated by himself. We're in a day of disorder. And it ought not to be. Gideon wasn't left up to his own imagination and designs and interest to do this work. There was an ordered manner and God made it clear. It was to be done on this rock and in an ordered place and in an ordered manner. (laughs) It had to be God's order. Oh, said Saul, you remember it, First Samuel 15, 16, and 23. Oh, said Saul, we brought in some of the best sheep to sacrifice to the Lord. Surely, he'll be proud to receive these. <laughs> but God, if you read that text, said, he called it rebellion and said it was as the sin of witchcraft. Oh, I want to say this morning, how much of the sheep and oxen and chief things, that's the words in that text. I'm taking them right out of that text in Samuel first. 1 Samuel 15 How many of the sheep and oxen and chief things have we brought into our churches assuming God will be pleased with it but he never he never ordered it he never ordered it no no you see we need a tearing down of these old carnal altars and a building up from the new materials of Zion to the worship of our God with a sacrifice that is acceptable. Oh God help us. Help us take us back. Take us back. Take us back Lord. To the times when our churches were honored. And I'm not talking about good old time religion. You all know what that phrase means. I'm not talking about going back to good old time religion grandma had. I'm talking about back, I'm talking about back to the order ways of God. In short, could I just summarize this lesson for you in these words? No man is fit for God's work in this world. No man is fit for God's work in this world until he has begun it in himself and in his own house. And that in God's orders. And now if I may just quickly pass by and take a quick glance at yet one other lesson From this record in this text, I give you lesson number three, and I take just a short glance at it. Can I suggest to you from this text that God is never without hands to do his work? (laughs) God is never, our God is never without hands. To do his work. You see in verse 27. And Gideon. Then Gideon took. Ten men. Of his servants. Could I say to you that I know better than most. How lonely. Is the journey. In our path to Zion. At times. All straight is the gate. And narrow is the way. And few there be. That would like to travel with us. Most of you know me well enough to know that this is an area where I have a personal battle. I battle personally with this. Alone, alone in the battle. We don't seek to be different because we derive some evil, maniacal pleasure from it. But how often do we find ourselves alone? I understand that. But oh, I want to bless His holy name. In spite of what I feel, what I think, Or my emotions. Our God is never without his witness. Ten men. Verse 27. Ten men were needed. There was a great altar to be torn down. There was a great altar to be built up. There was a great grove to be cut down. There was a great building altar to be done, there was a seven-year-old bullock that was to be slaughtered and prepared and burnt. And all of this was to be done in the short course of one dark night. I'm telling you, Gideon needed ten men. Gideon needed ten trusted men. Gideon needed ten faithful men. Gideon needed ten working men. And God has just such men ready in his own household. Ten men. Hallelujah. God is never without hands to do his work. Hallelujah. He's never without hands to do his work. There was a lot of work to be done that night. And Gideon needed ten strong, faithful, working men that he could trust. And God had them right there in his own servants. (laughs) Oh yes, we feel alone sometimes. But can I just encourage your heart with this thought, this lesson from this text. God is never without his hands. Poor, poor Elijah. (laughs) Poor Elijah. Over a thousand years later, poor Elijah, he had to learn his lesson, didn't he? Over there in First Kings chapter 19, verse 12, And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto them, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest unto Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nishai shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat uh, shalt, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword at Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left for me, verse 18, yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Oh, dear Elijah, you need to learn. You need to learn. You need to learn. God is not without hands. Needed to do the work. God is not without hands. You know, sometimes the Lord just has to remind us. In the verses, in the, as he did in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9, when he said, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Oh, and might we not, as parents, might we not take that first to our hearts and embrace it We look on some of our own loved ones and they're they're like stone. Their hearts are like stone. Oh, is our God not able to raise up of these stones children of Abraham? Sure He is. Sure He is. We need to be reminded God is all powerful and He's not without hands when He seeks to put them to the task. He's able to raise up stones. He said, let me remind you, you think you're sons of Abraham? I can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones. Sometimes he has to remind us in the words of Luke chapter 19 and verse 39 some of these Pharisees, some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke God, disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. What am I saying? I'm just trying to drive this lesson home to your heart. As long as it may seem sometimes, oh, never you forget, our God is not without Him necessary to the work. Gideon's going to need help. He's going to need help tonight. God's got ten faithful, working, trustworthy men right there ready. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Oh, my beloved sainted friend this morning, never you doubt, never you doubt God has his ten men anywhere and any time. It's time for his work to be done for his glory. We're never alone in this battle. Panic not, my beloved. Panic not. (laughs) Listen to the testimony. Second Kings, and chapter six, and verse fifteen. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servants said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man. <laughs> and he saw. Ooh, hallelujah. And behold, the mountain was full of the horses and chariots of fire round about All oh, the mountains. The mountains were on fire with him. He just couldn't see them. And the prophet prayed for him. Lord, let him see them. The Lord opened his eyes. What am I saying? i say it to you one more time, a great lesson. Oh, listen, never you doubt God has his ten men anywhere, anytime, when it's time. For his work to be done. What a lesson. What a lesson to our hearts. When it's time for his work to be done. He will provide. All that's needed. Bless his holy name. Turn with me now, if you will, please, and stand. We sing together number 421. Standing as we sing 421. Come weary soul with sin distressed Come and accept the promised rest The Savior's gracious call obey and cast your gloomy fears away. O with sin, a painful Lord. O oh, come and spread your woes abroad. Divine compassion, mighty love, Will all the painful Lord remove, Here mercy's boundless ocean flows, To cleanse your guilt and heal your woes, pardon and life and endless peace, how rich the gift How free the grace, Lord, we accept with grateful heart the hope thy gracious words impart. We come with trembling Yet rejoice and bless the kind inviting voice. Dear Savior, let thy wondrous love confirm our faith. Our fear removed, oh sweetly it floods every breast, and guide us to eternal rest.